Today is Sunday, August 6, 2017, and this is episode 198 of the Defensive Security Podcast. My name is Jerry Bell, and joining me tonight, as always, is Mr. Andrew Callett. Welcome back to the United States of America, Mr. Bell. It is good to be back. I personally lost a bet that they were going to allow you back in, but hey, I'm glad you're here. I think I snuck in. <laughs> <laughs> and, and how was your wonderful world travels? Um... You know, it was good. I- Ireland was very nice. Hungary was nice. Um, the the flights were not very nice. Mm-hmm. I, I I need to be able to de- to detach my legs. That's what I've I've learned. <laughs> if I could detach my legs, you know, it'd be much much more enjoyable. Well, you know, that is possible. It's painful. Yeah, yeah I suppose. Uh, I mean, it's it would certainly be an elective medical procedure. Yeah, yeah. Anyhow, uh, so yeah, it's it, it was a good good trip. Good to be back. Uh, met met some really great people while I was over there, and uh, and here I am, jet lag free finally. Yeah, it takes some time. I know. I I did a couple of Israel trips in previous roles, and it's it can kick your butt. Oh yeah. So uh, just a reminder that the thoughts and opinions we express on the show are ours and do not represent those of our employers. And a couple of announcements. Besides Chattanooga has their CFP open until September 1st. Uh, That conference happens on March 28th, 2018. And you can find more information at besidescha.com. Coming up in uh, September is DerbyCon. We'll we'll be there, and then uh, at the end of October is the uh, O'Reilly Security Conference in New York, and uh, we'll we'll both be there. And I think we have a we have a discount code, if I'm not mistaken. We do. Do, do you remember it? I don't. I, I I'll look it up real quick. <laughs> Anyhow, I think it's uh, I don't. I'm not even going to try to guess. We'll come back to it. Uh, and then uh, in the next next March, we will be in Bogota, Colombia at the uh, Tactical Edge. Yeah, I was I knew it had something to do with a knife. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, the 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 code for getting twenty percent off gold, silver, and bronze passes to the O'Reilly Security Conference is Security Twenty. Ah, uh, there you go. There you go. Good deal. And then uh, also just a, a shout out at the at the start. Thank you to all of our Patreon donors. Appreciate, definitely appreciate you. Absolutely. You guys are awesome. It still amazes and humbles me that, that you guys give your hard-earned money to us. Thank you. Absolutely. So um, you know, before we get into our uh, actual stories, there was there, something happened this past week, which, you know, is kind of out of the ordinary for, for what we would uh, normally talk about, but since it's uh, all the rage, we thought we would talk about it a little bit. Um, You're talking about Dances with the Stars, aren't you? Yes. Mm-hmm. What, what did you think? <laughs> no, of course not. I'm talking about uh, the the very controversial arrest of uh, Malware Tech Blog, or otherwise known as Marcus Hutchins. Who is well known for stopping the WannaCry outbreak by... Yeah. Registering the the kill domain, correct, and then then subsequently was a very controversial doxed by some uh, some journalists. Mm-hmm. So young guy, what he's like twenty four, I think. Yeah, twenty two, I think. Twenty two, younger than that. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So so yes, he was uh, he was leaving Las Vegas on his way home, which I believe is in the UK, and uh, while he was waiting for his flight about the board. Apparently, the FBI came and arrested him. And the Twitter sphere exploded. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, and honestly, for for some time, you know, there, when these kinds of things happen, the person just disappears. They go off the radar. Right. And, and so that leads to, 
you know, wanton speculation. And, uh, you know, eventually it was indeed confirmed that he, he had been arrested. And, and, you know, that, of course, set off a firestorm of further controversy, uh, which, you know, didn't really kind of stabilize until the indictment was made public. Um, and and it, it was made public, and, and uh, he was charged with uh, selling the Kronos banking malware back a, a couple years ago. I, th- I think it was for all of like uh, $7,000. And he wasn't even the main actor, as I recall. Yeah, he, uh, a conspirator to update and sell. Right. Yeah, it was interesting. I, I certainly don't have a strong opinion on guilt or innocence at this point. I, I, I think that that's entirely what hopefully uh, the justice system will determine. It is... I would say I saw a lot of incredibly rushed jumps to judgment and opinion on Twitter of both sides, which I don't think is very helpful. I think until we know the facts of a situation, it's very difficult to react appropriately. And a whole lot of people were reacting very strongly before they really knew what was going on. Now, again, I have no idea of the validity of these these charges. I don't know the, the case, but... I certainly understand that the urge to rush to defend somebody in the security industry and somebody, you know, one of our guys, as as many people say. But I just, first reports are always so sketchy in any sort of situation like this. And I really hope people learn to at least take a breath and under, try to get more information before you know, some of the very uh, reckless declarations I saw on Twitter. Yeah, and, and uh, <laughs> kind of in both directions. I mean, there, there's there been some, some pretty, yeah. pretty nasty, you know, accusations thrown at him, which I think is really not, not very fair um, <laughs> to be, to be doing when someone's, someone's uh, in his situation. Um, you know, there, there was a, there was a really, really terribly tacky uh, story posted about how he um, you know he was spending all this money and and I think that this was trying to equate uh, because at, at approximately the same time maybe like a day before the big news was the wanna cry uh, the wanna cry Bitcoin wallet was emptied of like hundred and forty thousand dollars right and then and then the insinuation of this this particular journalist was, hey, you know, Marcus is running around Las Vegas, renting Lamborghinis and spa- staying at a you know a fifteen hundred dollar a night hotel. But someone pointed out that he wasn't paying for any of that. Like those were other yeah, and it's Las Vegas, guys. <laughs> right, right. Well, and and somebody I think it was Gizmodo who absolutely I think was incredibly inappropriate. Posted things like, "Well, he was shooting very scary machine guns." Yeah, well, well the DA, the DA, when or the uh, the prosecutor yeah. brought that up too. Yeah, and the judge wisely shot that down as irrelevant. That was a good pun, by the way. <laughs> you're you're welcome. Thanks. <laughs> uh, uh, this is the kind of stuff that just drives me crazy when I read this. And again, I I don't have a dog in this hunt. One way or the other. I don't know. I don't know if he's guilty. I don't know if he's innocent. I don't I don't have a, you know, a, a wish around it either. I don't want him to be guilty. I don't want I, I don't know. I, it's an interesting story. It's part of our, you know, it certainly wouldn't be the first time we've seen this happen. Uh, it's not outside the realms of, of previous experience that sometimes you see young, talented kids messing around with malware and, you know, the, then they try to go clean and start working on the white hat side. It's, it's seen it since day one in this industry but again i'm not saying that's what happened we don't know what happened right we just have an indictment and yep from what i've read it's kind of flimsy but it's early in the process and we'll see what happens yeah we, we really don't know what you know what the evidence is we we know that the the prosecution alleges that he confessed and and by the way apparently he was held for about 48 hours without legal representation and apparently allegedly during which he confessed to doing it. Now what's, what's interesting is, you know, there's obviously been a lot of discussion uh, and and research and whatnot about 
the the things he's said on Twitter and posted on his blog in the past. And someone pointed out that you know he did, excuse me, he did in fact write some code that apparently was incorporated into the malware that is you know it, named in the indictment. But then you know he also publicly on Twitter said you know he basically said he was outraged that they had included his code uh, in the in the malware. Well, so uh, to be fair, lots of times people reuse code. And sometimes Abs- for malicious Abs- purposes. Absolutely. You know, we, we know a number of security researchers who've written, written, that's good English, written anything from scanning tools to proof of concept code to whatever that could easily be twisted into malware. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, NotPetya had um, Mimi kits embedded in it and NPSXX. So there I you mean- go. <laughs> Again, not trying to make a case one way or the other just that this could turn out to be a whole bunch of mistakes or there could be something here we don't know yeah i, I think that the, one of the reasons this has got so much traction in the in the security field is it you know it, it, it may set a precedent and a potentially really troubling precedent if you know it if the thing that he is guilty of is writing let's say that you know that hooking code that was then reused in the malware you know if if that's if that's what he's going to be convicted on rather than you know actually creating malware for you know for the purpose of of committing crimes and then and then selling it on to someone else which would clearly you know in in most people's eyes be uh, be illegal uh, the, the concern is that you know there's a lot of security researchers who in the you know in the in the execution of their you know their learning and and whatnot penet- you know developing tools for penetration testing and whatnot would do create things like you know mimikets and, and and many other tools that you know could and have been used in uh, in attacks and so now does this the concern i think is that does this set a precedent that the people who write those things are now fair game for prosecution, and that if that it does, in fact, happen, you know, that's that is a really big problem for the industry. So I think that's one of the reasons there's a lot of, um, you know, other than the personal aspect, I think that's the other reason there's a lot of focus on this. Yeah, and I can certainly understand that concern. I think it's too early to jump to that conclusion. Certainly, we want to guard against that. We'll see. You know, I, I saw a whole bunch of people on Twitter basically swearing off any work with government agencies and I'm mean, just going off on a situation we don't know the full facts on. Now, it may come to that. It may warrant that. I'm certainly no, not one who trusts or believes in, in uh, a lot of what the government does. I'm very skeptical. But sometimes... A rose is just a rose, and maybe we need to wait and see what happens. I, I do think that he is entitled to a very vigorous and valid defense, and I know that a defense fund's been set up, and I see it completely warranted to contribute to that defense fund. But we've got to, unless we completely don't believe in the in the process any longer, we've got to let that play out a little bit before we decide if this is going to change our working relationship with you know, law enforcement. Yep, certainly agree. So anyway, we'll uh, we'll continue to uh, uh, monitor that, and if there's any anything more to discuss discuss about it, we'll do that in the future. Uh, good news is, I mean, I guess it's good news for him is that he uh, apparently gets out on bail tomorrow. So that's that's good. Uh, you got to think it's a pretty scary situation. I mean, <laughs> no well, yeah, why. yeah. I mean, it, it, absolutely. You're in a foreign country. You know, you're 22 years old. And and you're you've been arrested while in the airport for something you did when you were seventeen or eighteen, right? That's that's pretty scary. So yeah, so you know, to be determined. These things take a long, long time to play out. We'll see what happens. Yep, absolutely. So uh, so let's get into some stories. And the first story today comes from Dark Reading, and the title is "WannaCry Inspires Worm-like Module and Trickbot." And you know the, the the thing that I wanted to 
talk about with this is, you know, there's there's nothing particularly interesting about TrickBot other than the fact that I, I think we're we're seeing you know, a malicious uptake in the 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 worm spreading tactic, and, and that was kind of my concern that. You know, WannaCry and Not Petya kind of opened the eyes of, of I think, many garden variety criminals, and and I, or perhaps know, reopen them, or reopen them, sure. But I, again, I think there was a, I think we, we went a generation without any any real significant worm activity. Yeah, that's that's true. It has been a while, and and you did predict very strongly that this will probably lead to more of these types of attacks. Of course, success begets success. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the the concern I have is there's, you know, you don't need any particular vulnerabilities for this to work, right? That the, the kinds of things or the, the kinds of weaknesses, I guess as I'll call them, are endemic in many organizations. And, and I know I pick on Active Directory a lot, and I know that a lot of times it's not fair. But honestly, I, I think companies are going to have to very quickly get their house in order with active directory permissions or, or this is going to be a really big problem for them agreed but that is such a difficult task and it's so siloed so rarely have i seen an organization where the infosec guys are actually that deeply involved with how ad is run at that level yeah i i, I don't disagree I, I don't disagree but you know it's kind of a pay me now and pay me later thing like you can you know an organization can rip the bandaid off and 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 start to do it now or they can wait till they are toast and and they have to completely rebuild active directory and then they so, can do it right so what sorts of things are you thinking you know to me good privileged account management uh, you know cred vaulting not having the same easily captured and replayed ad credentials what other sort of stuff are you thinking about in terms of hardening ad against these sorts of things well you you know f- there's there's a whole host of things like you need you know you need to be running credential guard if you're running windows 10 and windows 2000 server 2016 um, if you're not you need to to disable the w digest password caching in memory uh, you need to make sure you have different local admin passwords on all systems domain admins should not be allowed to log in to non you know domain uh, domain controllers or, or things like exchange servers. Local administrators should not be allowed to log in uh, to a system over the network. Uh, and on and on. I mean, there's a whole host of, sure. of best practices. And, and you know, w- unfortunately, I think for convenience sake, you know, a lot of organizations have kind of either are not aware of these things, these best practices and, and, and really important security requirements because they haven't been bit by them. Sure. I mean, it goes all the way back to uh, what version of SMB and NTLM authentication you're running in your environment. Right, absolutely. And all, all those sorts of GPO type settings. There's a ton of things that we can do to harden against capturing hashes and replying them. But especially I think for older organizations that have been running AD for a long time, they probably have never updated as they uh, updated those settings as they progressed through the various versions and layers and, and upgraded over the years for their windows servers and desktops. And they're probably still running old versions of this stuff. And you know, if it doesn't broke, don't, don't touch it kind of thing. Yeah, that that's right. And I think a lot of, you know, certainly what I've seen is a lot of organizations it did start long, long, long ago in a universe far, far away, and and their Active Directory environment has just kind of evolved organically over time, and you know, kind of like you know, Windows itself, right? The, you know, the the old vestiges of things never never get turned off because my goodness, it might break something. So we'll, you know, we'll just <laughs> we'll, we'll upgrade and we'll leave everything else. In right. Place, so knowing the dependencies in a, in a complex environment may be very difficult. Absolutely, and I'm not. By the way, I'm not saying this is easy. And uh, no, I, I, I no, don't. I don't, I don't mean to imply that. Uh, it's probably a year-long project. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And and it may be difficult to sell the organization on that project, but I think I think it's very important. 
I think it's absolutely almost table stakes going forward. Yeah. I, I, I guess I'm here saying, you know, watch your back because this is, <laughs> we, we have a, we have a new threat to worry about that, that we really hadn't had to worry about in the past. And, and there's some, some really well, well-worn paths on how these things can be used by, uh, you know, by, by the, the bad guys. So there you have it. Um, you know, anyway, TrickBot is, you know, it's, it's a, I would call kind of garden variety malware, uh, banking malware. It's historically not been uh, commonly targeted in, in Western countries, but apparently that's changed as of uh, last month. They're starting to target, you know, the U.S. and the U.K. and a couple of other um, more developed countries. So, you know, uh, th- by the way, this this particular uh, variant of TrickBot, uh, it, it had some code that looks like it's it's got the kind of nascent start of a, a SMB worm type spreading, but it, it doesn't actually, apparently it's, it's not a complete, uh, not a complete setup. So the, the thinking of these researchers is this is kind of like a, a trial run to go and, and figure out, you know, what's the what's the next step? What do they need to do to, uh, to make this work? So anyway, I, I, I just, as I've said before, I think we're going to see a whole lot more of this. So, you know, put your helmet on, get your, get your house in order. And, and if we're up to Jerry, just turn off AD cause no, I, I, you're an AD hater. <clears throat> you know, I, 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 maybe so. Maybe I am. <laughs> Maybe I we'll, am. We'll, we'll come it, up with the term for it. it. It's it's not that I hate AD. It's it's that I hate the way people use AD. How about that? So anyway, um, moving on to our next story, which comes from Security Week, and the title is "One Million Exposed to Adware Via Hijack Chrome Extension." This is an interesting one, and there's a there's a kind of a companion story that I want to mention after we talk through this one too. Sure, sure. So. Uh, a couple days ago, a, uh, a, a developer for a Chrome plugin basically was fished, right? They, he got an email that purported to come from the, the, the Chrome store, the Chrome plugin store, saying that there was something wrong. And, and uh, so he, he logged in to take a look and <clears throat> didn't really realize at the time that he had been fished until a couple of days later when... Uh, when he started getting complaints that that his uh, plugin was bombarding users with ads, and so apparently this this particular plugin is a million, approximately a million uh, users, so that's that's a pretty big deal. And apparently, what happened was bad guys fished him, got his credentials, uploaded a, a malicious adware laden version of the plugin, which then started getting you know auto updated on Chrome installs you know, worldwide. And as that happened, uh, people started getting the ads. And and at least at the time the story was written, it sounds like they're not entirely sure what else that malicious version of the, the plugin may have done. So they're recommending users change their passwords and, and any API keys to things like Cloudflare and, and some other things. But... Um, you know, I, I thought this was really interesting kind of in the wake of the not pet yet thing because now we're we're starting to see, you know, kind of like a you know we're 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 predisposed we're predisposed to look for patterns here, right? And one of the patterns I'm seeing emerging here is updates to pervasively malicious updates to pervasively installed software is is a really attractive attack point because yeah, we're abusing we're abusing the pre-established trust channel right especially because we've we've trained people now to trust those updates and to always install updates and you know accept updates when they're offered and right and we beat i mean in fact we beat people about that right i mean we beat them up and say you, you know you're you're going to get in trouble if you don't install it or yep why not so so i mean in in, in some respects that that has kind of worked against us i mean obviously it's still 
the the right advice, but I think we have this we have this new problem that this this as a attack vector is I think gaining some attention. It, it is. I would argue that in some ways this is kind of like shark attack stories that they're incredibly rare, but they get a lot of coverage. Uh, and then you have to figure out what is the likelihood of this truly being a risk factor against the more common things that are not reported. Well, I mean, that, sure, sure. And but I'm sure there's a technical term for it. I just don't know it <laughs> Shark attacks. The shark attack syndrome is, uh, is fine. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I guess the, uh, another way to look at it is that at some point, you know, are, are, is it really a shark attack thing? that, you know, happens infrequently all, all the time and now it's just being reported? Or is this really something new? And, and That is the question. Right. And, and, you know, another story that I was reading about this is some defunct plugins that have a lot of users out there are being purchased and then basically co-opted into being malware delivery channels. Right. So, you know, you've got a plugin that you developed... You've got half a million users out there. You're not really developing it or maintaining it anymore. Somebody comes up to you and says, hey, I'll give you 50 grand for that. Sure, here you go. And now they basically buy access to your users and then can push out whatever they want. Yeah. And then we, we, it wasn't exactly the same, but we kind of saw that with Adblock Plus, right? Yeah. Where, where yeah. they, uh, you know, yeah. they, they were an ad blocking plugin and suddenly they were a, a way for companies to get their ads to your computer. Well, see, it's that step three before profit that they're starting to figure out. Uh, obviously, obviously. But, you know, point is that now you have, anytime you have a, uh, you know, that, that kind of broad real estate, there's a, you know, there, there's a potential. Uh, and, and, you know, the abandoned plugins is a great, great example. And then I wonder if, uh, you know, this hit Chrome, which is fairly well regarded for security. I wonder if there is some sort of reaction that will eventually come from the the browser manufacturers to vet this further. I don't know. This becomes a real issue. They may take a step into that. But this is a tough one. This is a really tough one to figure out. And there's no perfect solution for, you know, Google to scan plugins to make sure they're not malicious. It's, you know, that's that's like having a perfect AV solution. It just doesn't work that way. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Especially given the you know the the broad functionality that those plugins give, I mean they 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 have everything from you know um, proxy plugins to uh, you know filter um, you know ad ad filtering to you know password managers. So I mean that like the it would be really difficult to profile what is malicious type activity because you're going to see you know basically everything is is legitimate in, in some plugin or other. It's true. So, yeah. So anyway, um, another, another thing to keep an eye on. I, I do think, by the way, I do think that I, I was thinking about this on the, the plane ride back. Uh, we historically have thought about yeah, you know, certain kinds of vendors as being the ones that are really risky to us, and and so you know maybe we maybe we add an extra question or two to their into their kabuki dance spreadsheet that we we send them, which they are committed upon the honor of their house and family to answer <laughs> honestly. Exactly, exactly, and and you know so but but anyway you know there there are certain certain of our vendors that we you know we intuitively know are more you know, more risky. And I would guarantee, almost guarantee, maybe not guarantee, but I almost guarantee that most organizations would never think about software as, as a, you know, software vendors as one of those, you know, um, vendors to be concerned about. You know, they're, they're kind of thinking about the, the vendors who have like a, you know, VPN access to their network or, or, or something like that. They're not, thinking about Microsoft or, you know, uh, Oracle or intellect services. <laughs> right. But the bad guys are going to keep probing for any and all weaknesses. Yeah. It's yeah. almost like the, the million monkeys on a million keyboards. Sure, sure. And, and 
they're really looking at this almost as a psychological attack now of what can we leverage? What trust can we abuse to get done what we need to get done? Right. And that's, that means it's going to constantly change, which is a challenge when I see these really large, complex, mature organizations that have really mature, robust, all-encompassing audit policies and management of InfoSec risk. And they're spending so many cycles auditing against defenses for the previous risk issues. Right. And they've spent so much time and effort that they're not meeting these previous issues that they're not necessarily nimble enough to deal with new issues because they, they're using all their staff time up answering audits and providing evidence and producing reports and not really being ready to adapt to a new threat. Fighting yesterday's battles. Yeah, I was trying to avoid that term, but yeah. Yep. I mean, it is the most appropriate term. You're fighting the last cyber war. Uh, and I don't know a better way to do it, but I definitely see that as a weakness right now with these large, mature, quote-unquote, mature uh, security organizations. Yeah, and, you know, I, I, I've I've been wondering, what is the, you know, what's the end game? Because, like you said, psycholo- this is a psychological war. And, and really, the only winning strategy is not to play. And, and so... Well, there, there is no end game. It's continuous. Yeah, but but I guess the the point is that we're we are either resigned to that. There's always going to be the next attack vector that we have to go and scramble to defend against, you know, or or we're just you know we we kind of I don't know we kind of live in in constant fear and and I think we well. Uh- Let's take it back to the physical world for a minute. It's it's kind of if we equate it back to normal physical crime. It never really goes away. You can do things to, to help reduce it. You can do things that backfire reducing it or, or, or increase it or allow an environment for it to decrease. It's more a matter of how do you set up an environment in your organization that can survive most criminal acts. Most companies aren't going to go out of business if somebody breaks in the door and steals some stuff because they have adapted their risk model, their insurance model, their whatever it may be to deal with that eventuality. They don't want to happen, but it may happen. So in my mind, it's more about resilience of your organization and expecting something bad to happen. Not not in fear, but hey, this is the real world that we live in. Yeah, I, I guess I... I, I... I probably did a bad job of, of, of saying what I was thinking there. So I'll blame as, the jet lag. <laughs> so, so as 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 time goes on, and and the snowball is running rolling down the hill, and it's collecting new attack strategies, and and your point about where you know we're we're auditing you know last year's or yesterday's. Uh, auditing the controls that prevented yesterday's threats, you know that none of those old threats go away. We're we're only adding new ones, and so it seems like we're we're creating this just monumental amount of overhead in terms of you know security controls and audits and and whatnot. That is, you know, it's going to, in my mind, at least really water down the the whole value proposition that that IT brought in the first place because you you now you're and I, I don't think we're there yet right but you know it's not hard to see that if you start if you have to start for instance you know being really suspect of all of your software providers and and you know exercising some kind of due diligence on all of them and then you know and then you know what after that and, and everything else that you've been doing, you still have to keep doing. And, and now you got to go and do this big new thing. And then tomorrow there's going to be something else. Yeah, I get what you're saying. I think at the end of the day, business is still going to do business. And this is not – business doesn't really want to do security. Business doesn't really want to do legal. Business doesn't really want to do finance. These are things they have to do sure. to do what they want to do. So I think that in many ways, we're kind of like firefighters. We're going to go to where the fire is burning and try to address that. Yeah. Well, and clearly. 
<laughs> and and hopefully for the older, more well understood attacks, we have built in more consistent defenses. The ecosystem has adapted. You know, you've gotten the briefings from Microsoft on how to harden your AD environment against, you know, pass the hash. Now, did you do it? Well, that's a different question. Mm-hmm. You know, that sort of thing. You know, you've got you've got better tools out there to adapt to more sophisticated phishing attacks. It's it's an arms race. The question is, where and how do you spend your time? And I think that is the tough part of a CISO's job is figuring that out. And especially when that is dictated to you by an external auditor or third party, that gets really complicated. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, moving on to our last story for today. This one comes from Dark Reading, and the title is, Can Your Risk Assessment Stand Up Under Scrutiny? And I, I thought this was a great story because it captures very well, I think, uh, what is one of the fundamental problems in security today. And, I, and it, I'll sum it up in one sentence in this article, which I think explains the challenge of, of IT security front to back, quote, if an organization omits or misjudges a critical risk, then the decisions that flow from that finding will be incorrect. (laughs) End quote. Yeah, this was a really interesting article. Uh, I had a lot of different thoughts on this article as I was reading it. And then uh, I got to give credit to the author. He addressed those, most of those thoughts as he went through the article. Um, I personally thought you were going to say the number one problem for IT security was mansplaining, but I can see the point you're going with here. <laughs> well, you caught me off guard with that one. Yep. So, uh, anyhow, um, yeah. Put the, 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 I, I, I bet the listeners can tell we're tired today. <laughs> yeah, it's it's been a it's been a long month. <laughs> yeah. We'll get, we'll get back to our normal peppy self soon. Don't worry. It's been a long month for me. Uh, anyway, the I, the author here does a nice job of of kind of highlighting some of the the problems. You know, he he points out that historically, doing a risk assessment has been kind of the important thing, right? There's been there's been no expectation of of quality. And he points out that you know, there was a um, uh, an FTC action against a company called Abbott Labs, and they they kind of spanked Abbott. The FTC kind of spanked Abbott Labs because they they did a risk assessment, but it but you know I, I would summarize it as saying they did a pretty uh, shoddy job at a risk assessment. They didn't consider all of the risks that they actually referred to in other venues, right? I mean, they, they like a, um, a particular hard-coded password, they considered basically a feature in one area and then didn't talk about it as a risk in a different area. So, um, But that brings up a really interesting point to me, which is risk analysis can be very subjective. And in this case, yes. we're, using, we're using a very obvious example that I think most people could agree to. But let's but let's just say for, for the sake of discussion that FTC's view of what is a significant risk may be very different than Abbott Labs' view on that. And anytime you take an external third party and you have them judge your risk, th- there's often a rational, reasonable dispute of a difference of opinion as an organization may see risks that they view as acceptable, that some random third party may have a different view of what's acceptable and what isn't based on their bias and their experience and, and their hot buttons and what they've seen burn other companies or, or their focus. It's, it's not really a black and white thing right now. And, and so that leads to how do we make this more objective mm-hmm. and, and make it, and, and should we, right? There, there, there's a part of this that, Businesses taking risks allows them to make money. You cannot reduce risk to zero. And one of the things that determines a winner and loser in a destructive capitalist environment is the folks who, in part, make those correct decisions versus those who don't. 
I agree, but I'm but I take exception to one thing. Okay. And 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 I think that is it, there's a difference between you know accepting a risk in in the pursuit of business and and profit, you know, and, and knowingly taking that risk and 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 between that and being ignorant. Agreed. Either willfully or you know un, or. Or, or negligently, right? Um, it's on, like on, you read my notes because I actually have. Okay. <laughs> that that I was actually going to say this as we got further into the story is that I've worked with organizations that have wonderful risk analysis teams, and they look at things and they find risk and they write it up, and that risk goes to management, and then nothing happens. There's no definitive. Documentation as to why that risk is accepted. Mm-hmm. There's no, there's no thought process around it, and that we talk, that's talked about in the story here is how do you quantify how and why you why you accept a risk, and so I think you hit that on the head, which is how often is management not understanding the risks they're accepting that they are ignorant to it until it comes and bites them in the ass. Exactly, and then and then the question is, are the risks involved with IT security so archaic? and weird and difficult for non-IT security folks to grasp that they, we feel they should inherently, intrinsically understand the risk we're saying and management doesn't get it because that's not their specialty and this is a highly specialized environment. And then it comes back to, is management saying, well, the CISO should have handled this? Et cetera, et cetera. I, mm-hmm. I do think there's something broken there. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I mean, this comes down to communication in, in, in large measure, right? Because you, you're absolutely right. The CISO, or I'm sorry, the CEO or the CFO isn't going to be a technical expert. They're not going to be the one to, you know, to make a, a judgment call on, you know, are we going to use the same local admin password on all of our systems? Like that. That's not... That's not the 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 level they operate at. They they need to right. know, um, you know, a, a more tangible way to think about it in in terms of of you know value at risk. I guess is to use a a term. Um, and and that's that kind of comes back to us. And I think one of the one of the issues I see with with risk assessments is is well, I guess a couple of things. You know, one is a lot of times they they're they're gone into with the end in mind, and the and the risk assessment is a formal process to document what somebody's already concluded, and, and so that's a that's a problem. And then the other is, sure. uh, and and I, we see this, and I've talked about this at length, is a lack of imagination on the part of IT people to really understand the ways that things can go wrong. Is it, I agree with you, but is it truly imagination or is it mindset? I think we IT security folks have trained ourselves to think failure conditions. And I think a lot of IT folks train themselves to think, you know, integration and success conditions. Sure. Yep. You know, and perhaps it's a mindset issue. Well, I, I mean, there's no doubt about that. Uh, you know, and and sorry, continue your point. I didn't want to completely interrupt you, though. No, and and then uh, and then I think the the last part is communication, right? To be being able to turn it into some turn that into something tangible for a you know a business manager to be able to accept or or mitigate because uh, you know again i i think one of the fundamental problems is they is they talk about here in the article is you know well actually you you brought it up i take that back you know companies have to deal with risk to make money but mm-hmm. the but the fundamental problem i see time and again is that management isn't aware of the risks that they're accepting and i think that in many ways okay. this is a this is a failure of of it security to comprehend that and communicate that risk now what that means and how to do it right i don't have the right answer if i did i you know i probably 
be sleeping better at night. But uh, yeah, it's a tough problem because let's you don't play that up. We'll keep picking on AD for a minute. How do we as senior security people go to a CEO and say, you know, we really need to harden our ID? CEO goes, okay, what happens if we don't? Well, we might get hacked. Okay, what does that mean? Well, well, we might lose money. How much money? I need you to put this in some sort of terms that I can quantify. I'm curious. I want to hear what you have to say, but you've got to tell me in terms that I can balance against everything others, everything else I have going on. Yes. Because we cannot risk, or sorry, we cannot address all risk at once either. They have to be prioritized. Right. And, and you know, it's interesting because one of the things this article said, and I'll come back and, and quote this part because I think it's, it's good, but it also has an issue I take exception to. Quote, a risk assessment must also be read and used to manage the risk it identifies. A thick, beautifully detailed risk report that sits on the shelf is not only useless, it's a clear indicator of negligence. Okay, I, I agree to a certain extent. Imagine, quoting again, imagine a regular asking you, quote, you knew about the risk. Why didn't you do anything about it? End quote. Acting on a risk assessment also means verifying the risk was reduced by active risk management processes. Okay. Sounds great in a vacuum. What happens when I've got 50 critical risks yeah. in my organization? Which, by the way, is very real and very often the case. Oh, absolutely. Right. So we have to pick and choose which ones we can go after once. We can't fix them all at once. We, we can't incur that kind of cost or disruption. So we have to roll the dice on which ones are going to bite us and which ones aren't. Yeah, but it, but I think what they're – maybe I'm reading too much into it. But but I think what the, – the, the act of prioritization is – is part of that, right? So if you, you know, if you, if you have, you end up with, uh, let's say a hundred, you know, a hundred really critical risks that you have to deal with and you can deal with three, you know, you're going to go through some process to figure out which are the three you're going to deal with. Right. And you're, you know, it's not that you're ignoring the other ones, it's that you've consciously prioritized that. And I'm not, I don't think that's what he's saying. I think that, I think what uh, he's, I think what he, he's saying he, is that, you know, they go through this process and then you know it goes into a binder and goes on the shelf and nobody thinks about it again. Yeah, versus... because because the bad guys look at your risk register before they attack you. Of course, they always do. Yes. <laughs> and they can attack you with something if it's on your risk register. <laughs> no, no, I, 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 I'm perhaps extrapolating a little past his point, which is that any one risk in a vacuum can be easily dissected and, in hindsight, say, "Well, you're an idiot for not fixing it." And what I'm trying to say is that it's rarely. A discrete risk in a vacuum. Absolutely, absolutely. But I, but I think you know if you're in that adversarial relationship or adversarial condition with a regulator, you, you know, and and something has bitten you on the butt, and it was you know number four on your list of a hundred, and you you were only doing the top three. You know, you you have hopefully some kind of documented plan that says you know. We, we did this risk assessment, it found 100 things, we rank ordered them, we drew a line, we're dealing with the top three at some point, and we'll go back and do the, you know, it's that's a different discussion with, a, and I'll tell you, I mean, I've, I've been I've been here, right, with, with government regulators, and it's a different discussion. If you can say that, you know, certainly they could say, well, you know, we disagree, but that's a whole different discussion, because now, you know, now they're, they're just... They're they're disagreeing with maybe your assessment of the risk. They're not saying that you know you're completely out of control, um, and so so I think that's a different. You're you're on a different. It is. Level it there. is. I, I agreed. I, I think the other thing I would say though is that anybody worth their salt can find risk. Yes. Yes. So do we also have a bit of a boy who cried wolf situation there? Hmm. And maybe that's a whole different conversation. I I guess mm-hmm. what I'm saying is that this concept is still so squishy, it's really hard to wrap definitive guidance around. And when you start introducing a lot of third parties who are judging it, it's going to get even squishier. Sure. Yeah, I, um, I agree with you there. Uh, so anyway, 
Anything else? Did, uh, yeah, you know, the other thing is DEFCON Black Hat just happened. Yeah. Uh, they I don't have any official. I missed yeah. it again for another year. That's, yep. that's true. One of these years will go. Uh, any uh, Anything come out of it that you thought was worthy of talking about? I didn't see a ton. Hmm. Um, yeah, voting machines were hacked within 90 minutes. Yeah. Um, not, not a terrible surprise there. Some home, uh, somebody figure out how to hack uh, many types of home routers provided by ISPs. Nothing, you know, incredibly novel there. Uh, I heard that uh, Alex Stamos's keynote at DEF CON was, was apparently pretty good. Yes, I've been wanting to watch it. I have not had a chance. Uh, apparently, uh, some of the highlights were we need to have more empathy for our users, which in general I agree with. I think we get arrogant about our stupid users and such. And again, psychological war, guys. Yep. Uh, and you know that's that's about it. I you know I, I have a lot of people that I'm Twitter friends with who you know who were there or or gave presentations. So I you know I think. All the feedback I got was it was pretty good. You know, there's apparently always the uh, you know unfortunate aspects <laughs> of uh, uh, of any mass gathering of people like that, but didn't seem like it was um, you know, too out of you, control. You know, in terms of people being idiots. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, it's unfortunate, but it's going to happen. <laughs> Not that it makes it right. It's just. It's human nature, unfortunately. Anyway, uh, yeah, that that I think that was all I had heard. Um, I think the B sides talks are online, and I have not had any chance to go and look at those yet. Um, there was I I did watch one talk um, from the Proving Grounds. It was on uh, it was on the Russian uh, propaganda. It was really interesting. I'll, I'll see if I can find the link and post it. It was uh, you know, basically talking about uh, the, the lady who gave the, the talk was uh, talking about her time in Russia <clears throat> was was during uh, during the takeover of, of Crimea. And she talks about the propaganda campaign that they ran and, oh. you know, and, and you know, the perspective, you know, because she had intentionally she's she's from the U.S., but she had intentionally shut herself out of any Western media while she was there to call kind of like do the whole Russian language immersion thing. And so she talks about the, uh, you know, the kind of the, the, the impact of the propaganda machine. So it, really interesting. Nice. Yeah. I, I would be interested in that. Uh, anyhow, I think that's it for today. Anything else from you? Uh, no, just uh, thanks as always to our loyal listeners and donors and friends and uh, con season's coming up, so hopefully we'll get to see some of you guys in person soon. I'm still constantly amazed at the love and support the show gets, so thank you. Absolutely. Talk to you again next week. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Have a good week. See you.